uh, I don't know how many of you this applies to you, but it certainly does to me. Uh, different times in my life where I've started to do something. Uh, I think of it in a couple ways, like uh, putting together. Uh, when Joanna and I were first married, uh, we bought a bunch of furniture at Ikea. If you've ever put furniture together from Ikea and, and you go through the steps and you're doing it. Or I remember very vividly uh, one Christmas Eve putting together a toy for the boys and you get like an hour or two hours into it and realize that you've done it like backwards or you've messed up. You didn't follow the directions completely. And so you've spent like two hours, but you realize you're further from finishing than when you first started because you've got to take it apart and then redo it. And then start again. I remember very vividly doing that with a big green machine wheel thing for the boys on Christmas Eve. And it's like two o'clock in the morning and having to take it apart and redo it. And part of that's probably because uh, I don't read the directions real well. I'm like, oh, I got it. Like, that's that's close enough. I'll, I'll be able to figure it out. And then you get into it and realize that you should have followed the directions. And uh, I don't know if you can relate to that. I've done that many different times in my life, which probably says something about the way I follow directions. But as I was thinking about that and and how sometimes we can be doing something and going along and then realizing maybe we're missing part of it. And I was thinking about that as it it, uh, applies to prayer. You know, here we are in this series. We've been talking about prayer and what does it mean to pray and what does God call us into in this personal communication with God. And we've been talking about meeting him in his word and the, the way that works and having complete dependence on him. But I think sometimes at the very heart of it and what we're seeking and what we're after, we can kind of be like being down the road where we didn't read the directions all the way. That we can get into it in all these different ways that's maybe not exactly what God calls us to and what he's showing us in prayer. And so sometimes it's helpful to go back and and look at the directions, so to speak. And so this morning we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer together for a few minutes. Probably the one of the most famous passages in all the Bible, probably the most famous prayer, certainly within the Christian church, the most famous prayer. Uh, a lot of times we can say, our Father who art in heaven and in your mind, you can fill in the rest of it. We've heard it so many times. We talk about it a lot. But I think sometimes in our prayer life, we can uh, just kind of go into automatic pilot and start praying in certain ways and maybe not even praying directly the way God calls us to pray. And so I want us to think about the Lord's Prayer this morning. And real simply, I'm just going to ask, what is Jesus teaching us to pray for? He's going to give us a template. Uh, we see this in the Bible in Matthew chapter 6, but it's also in Luke chapter 11. And the disciples say to Jesus, teach us to pray. And he says to pray like this. And he gives us this pattern of, of a good way to, to start. And so I want us to think about it today, asking that question. What is Jesus teaching us to pray for? And then to ask, how do we do that? And there's some things he says here about the heart condition of how we do that, but also practically what does it look like to live this out as we pray in the way that Jesus teaches us to pray. And so one thing as we start on it, and I've been thinking about this a lot the last few weeks as we've talked about prayer. It's been very helpful for me as I read the Lord's Prayer and I spend time in it to then read alongside of it John 17, which is what we often refer to as the high priestly prayer. It's Jesus praying for us. He's praying for the disciples, but then he's also praying for those that will come to faith. And you get to see and hear Jesus's heart for us in the way he prays. And when you take those two, what you see is they line up. Uh, that shouldn't be a surprise, but Jesus perfectly God in every way. And of course, those things are going to go together. Both are God's word and, and they're going to come together perfectly. But it helps to kind of fill in some of the background as we're reading the 
Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. But here was the thing that I kept coming back to. We think about prayer. And I want you to think about this lens as we talk about it today. When Jesus is approached and asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And all of the commandments hinge on this. And so Jesus answers in that way. And if you look at like the Ten Commandments, they all come under that. To love God and to love people. And I want you just to think about that idea, that lens with which Jesus talks about what's the greatest commandment and what we're after and what we say to love God and to love people. And I want us to think that way as we think about prayer, to love God, to be about him and then to love others. And I think it makes goes right with what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter six. And so let's look at the Lord's Prayer, very uh, familiar passage together with what does it teach us? To pray. How does Jesus teach us to pray? And so look right there in verse 9. So then Jesus says, Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that idea of hallowed be your name. Hallowed means just to acknowledge or hold venerable. Uh, I, I think it's very closely akin to glorify God, to make much of Him. If you then put it up uh, uh, to the side of John 17, this high priestly prayer, as Jesus is praying for us, he begins this way. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that, you know, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world existed. And so Jesus begins to pray. And as he prays for us, he says, Father, glorify your son as the son glorifies you here when he teaches us to pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, glorify, make much of his name. And I want us just to think about that at the very beginning as Jesus is telling us this at the heart of prayer is to make much of who God is, to be about him and his name and his glory and his holiness and his sovereignty and his greatness. And he tells us to begin there. To love God first. Right. The greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength. It makes sense that Jesus would then teach us to pray. Begin with hallowing the name of our father, making much of his name. And so that's where we begin when we start to think about prayer. John Calvin writing on prayer, the great reformer would talk about if we're going to pray with a heart that is glorifying God and hallowing his name, that we need to begin with the fear of the Lord. I think sometimes when we say that, the fear of the Lord can quickly be misconstrued or, or missed sometimes. But the Bible's full of that phrase. It's full of that phrase in a positive light over and over again. If you read in the Proverbs, it talks about a fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. That the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. That the fear of the Lord leads to life or the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord leads to honor. The fear of the Lord leads to riches. The fear, and it goes on and on and on. And it says it over and over again. 
That we need to begin with this fear of the Lord. And so what does that mean to have a fear of the Lord? It's to see God in his greatness for who he is. To have a reverential awe for the God who has created and upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's not cowering in the corner afraid. But it's being overwhelmed with the greatness of who God is. And I say that because in First John chapter 4, it talks about how perfect love drives out all fear. Fear has to do with punishment, but perfect love, seeing what God has done for us and Jesus drives out all fear because we don't have a fear of punishment because of what Jesus has done for us. And he says it's perfected in love. And when you know the love of God, it drives out the fear of punishment. But yet the Bible says over and over to have a fear of the Lord. It's to have this reverential awe for his greatness and who he is and the glory of what he is like. And I think Jesus captures perfectly here when he teaches us to pray. And he says, our father, hallowed be thy name. Our father, he starts there. He starts with the personal connection that we have with the God of the universe as our father. And it's familiar. And it's relational. And he loves us and he knows us. Even the way he prefaces this prayer about your father knows what you need before you ask him. But then hallowed be your name. And he brings that together perfectly. The fear of the Lord, this idea of being overwhelmed at God's greatness, but also being able to come directly to him as father. And he brings those two perfectly together. And so he tells us to begin there. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But I want you to think about that in two ways. And I want us to think about all of this as we as we work our way through in two ways. Personally, in my life, what does it look like to hallow God's name? How do I begin to do that and what am I praying for? But then also how I do that to others. How do I love others? And it it led me to to think of a phrase that uh, John Piper has said for years. If you don't know John Piper, he's been a pastor for a long, long time in Minnesota. He's written lots and lots of books. But he kind of did his ministry uh, around this phrase. He would always say this is kind of the heart of everything he was seeking to do. And he would say this, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. That God's name is hallowed. It is glorified. We see its greatness when I am resting fully in who God is. And even that prayer, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As I hallow his name, as I make much of his name and I see him for who he is and I'm praying to that end, it's going to lead me to be overwhelmed with who he is. Personally, but then as that goes out and as I begin to live and to operate that way and I'm praying that way, then other people see that, that I am most satisfied in my relationship with who God is and what he's done for me in Jesus. So hallowed be your name. Verse 10 says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we begin to talk about God's kingdom, it's not necessarily a particular place or a certain locale, but it is the idea of God's rule and reign. And that we want to see his rule and reign in all things, in all places. And so he teaches us here to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
in heaven where God is, is ruling and reigning and he sits on his throne with the sun at his right hand and it's being shown fully and completely, we begin to pray that it would be revealed in all things, in all of creation, which is God's revealed will that he's going to do that. In Habakkuk, it talks about how God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In Jesus, he has come and defeated sin and death. The wages of sin of death, but the gift of God is eternal life and what Christ Jesus has done. He's dealt with our rebellion. He's defeated sin and death. We can have this relationship with our father. It is done. He is ruling and reigning right now. But in these moments that we live in, God allows his creation to continue as it is until he returns. And so we are called to go make disciples, to proclaim the rule and reign of Jesus, which is full and complete. And it's breaking through into this world. And that's part of what he's teaching us to pray. That we would see the kingdom of God in all things, in all ways. And so we start to think about, well, what does that look like? What will we be praying for to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And I'd say part of that, you could go to John 17 and read how Jesus prays for us. What he's praying for the church and for the disciples and for those that will come to faith. And he'll pray that we will stay in his name. That we will have a fullness of joy that comes from glorifying him. He prays for unity. Praise that we would be resting in who we are in Christ, that we would stay in his word, that we would share that with others. This is God's revealed will to us. We could go outside of John 17 and talk about uh, the importance of, of walking humbly and doing mercy and justice, of making disciples, of loving and forgiving people in the way that Jesus has loved and forgiven us. And this is all God's revealed will of what it looks like to be fully under his rule and reign as it comes on earth as it is in heaven. And so we begin to pray to that end. Jesus teaches us to pray that way. We'd be seeking these things in the way that we pray and the way that we love people and the way that we go. And so God's revealed will would be true personally that we want his will in my life. That I want to honor God and love him but also that I would do the same to others. I want to see it in my uh, sphere of influence, in the world that we live in. I want to see God honored, and I want to be working for those things that hallow his name. And I want to do that in, in both, personally and those around me, loving God and loving people. And so he tells us to hallow his name. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then verse 11, he says, Give us this day our daily bread. And so we come before God and we pray for needs. We petition and we come to the things that are right in front of us and daily things that we're dealing with. Give us this day our daily bread. But I want you to notice the context with which Jesus speaks this, right? He's teaching them to pray. When we read the Bible, we always talk about context is king. It's important that we understand the context and who's speaking and who they're speaking to. This is Jesus preaching. He's talking to the people that have come to hear him speak and he's teaching his apostles and the disciples and there's lots of people listening on. And he says, though, I want you to look at the context in which he says that. Give us this day our daily bread. But look at what he says in verse 7 and 8. 
He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. But then he says, ask him for your daily bread, even though he just said, I know what you need before you even say it. Or if you read down further and you see the context right after in verse 25 and to the end of the passage, he begins to tell you, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or the clothes you put on or where you're going to live. I'm going to take care of you. He talks about the birds in the air and the flowers on the fields. And he says, don't I take care of them? How much more valuable are you? Be anxious for nothing. And so you take that context of what Jesus is teaching. And what is he teaching us here? When we say, give us this day our daily bread. Am I alerting God to what's going on in my life because he doesn't know? He goes, oh, thanks. I missed that. You need to eat. Great. No, he says, I know before you even ask. And not only that, he then teaches, and I will take care of you in all things and in all ways and at all times and be anxious for nothing. And so why are we saying, give us this day our daily bread? Are we cluing him in on how things should be? No, he already knows. This goes back to what we've talked about the whole time in this series on prayer it's personal communication with god all good things our daily bread our provision the breath in our lungs the place where we live the needs that are met are because all good things come down from the father of lights he sees and he knows what you need and he provides for you and he takes care of you and so when we are saying back and we are making petition and we're saying these things we're not alerting him of something he doesn't know, but as we say it and he meets our needs, it reminds us that every single thing that we have and that we are are his and they are owed to him. And it puts us back in a state of of seeing that it's all his. And I'm in desperate need of him of every moment. And it reminds me. Now he tells us to, to bring him and to tell us. And he does respond to our prayers. But we're not alerting him to something he didn't know. But it is reminding us that God is the one who provides all things. He is the one that brings provision. And it leads us to a heart of thankfulness. When we continue to bring those things before him and he meets our needs. And we're saying to him, here's the needs that we have. And then he meets those needs and it leads to thankfulness. I love that uh, my my nine-year-old Quinn has been in the habit of of praying different things. But lately, he, I don't know where he got this, but probably the last year, every night he thanks God for our shelter. He calls our house our shelter. Thank you, God, for shelter. And I think it's so funny that he says shelter. I don't know why or where that came from. But thank you, God, for our shelter. And we have this shelter. And, we're take, and, and I love that he says that, though, because every time he says it, it reminds me as we sit there on his bed that this house that we have, God has provided The fact that we have air conditioning and that we can come home to a house that's safe and we're taken care of is all because God has given us this. And so when we bring petition before him for provision and then he meets those, it it sparks this this heart of thankfulness of look of what you the way you've provided for us. And so we come to him with give us this day our daily bread. And as we do, it helps us to to hallow his name. 
right? Because it reminds us of the way he cares for us and the way he loves us. But then verse 12, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so we approach God and we come to him, our relationship secure in Jesus and what he's done for us. And we confess. We confess our sin. We bring the things before us that we have blown it. And we ask for forgiveness. First, John one nine says, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness, unrighteousness. And so when we come to Jesus and we come to the Father through what Jesus has done and we pray to him and we ask for forgiveness because of what Christ has done, he forgives us. And he tells us to come to him, to pray, to be quick, to confess our sin. And there in that God meets us at our point of need and reminds us of his great love and grace and mercy and what he's done for us. But notice the way Jesus teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I want you to think about how important that is as we grow in our relationship with the Father. That as we come to the Father, we only come through Jesus and what he's done for us, right? That's what Jesus prays there at the beginning of John 17. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That it's through Jesus and what he's done. And so we come to him praying for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us in the ways that we have blown it. And as we grow in our relationship with the Father through what Jesus has done, it is going to lead us to be forgiving to others. Because when we confess and we find forgiveness and what God has done for us in Jesus, and it's all his doing and it's all his grace to us, it leaves us in a place of humility. I, I saw a friend who, was, who wrote a, a thing this week. He's a pastor. And he was talking about how if we are growing in our relationship with Jesus, we must be growing in humility. They can't not go together. Because as I'm confessing my sin and I'm seeing how Jesus meets my needs and I'm being reminded over and over that I stand by grace and grace alone, it's going to lead me to be gracious to other people. And so when Jesus teaches us, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so we confess. And in there he meets us. And he offers us forgiveness through what Jesus has done for us. And then in verse 13 he says, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as I think about everything that he's saying here. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us of our sins and, and all these things. And he says, you, you pray this way. And in every single one of these things, God is at the center and he's at the heart of all of it. And we're making much of him and it begins with him and what he's done and who we are in him. And we're putting our focus on that. And then he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And as we continue in that close walk with him and all these ways, these go hand in hand. 
The more time I spend in constant communication with God and in confession and in seeking him and hallowing his name and making much of him, that goes directly with leading me from temptation. It reminds me what is true. What is true about who God is, but what is true about who I am in light of what he's done. And so when he tells us to pray to lead us not in temptation, he's not saying that God is going to lead us in temptation. He doesn't tempt us. God is not sinful. He doesn't do that. So he's talking about lead us not in temptation. I think there's a couple ways to think about that. The things that are outside of us and the world that would draw us away from God. There's evil in the world. There's sinfulness of the world, but there's also the temptation that's inside of us, our sinful nature that wants to believe. We want to go back to our flesh. We want to go back to our old way of thinking, of thinking I'm the center of the world and ignore everything else. He just told us to pray. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And I want to make it all about mine. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the unbelief in my heart that wants to make it all about me and who I am and what I do rather than who God is and what he's done. And I need to be reminded of that over and over. We say that, say it often here when we talk about sin. Sin is just unbelief. I'm not believing something is true about what God has said and what he's done. And I'm relying on myself rather than who God is. And so when I pray that he would lead me from temptation, all of this goes together. Because if I'm hallowing his name and I'm seeking his will and I'm doing these things, I'm confessing my sin and I'm receiving his forgiveness, all of that is reminding me that it's all about God and who he is and how good he is and what he has done. And that in turn helps lead me from the temptation of believing it's all about me. And so we continue to pray. God, lead me from temptation. Remind me of my identity in you and who you are and what you've done for for me. And so here's the thing I want you to see when we think about prayer and the way God teaches us to pray. That's a very cursory kind of overview. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on the Lord's Prayer. But what I want you to see is right at the heart of all this is that God is central in all of it. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's even the way we're supposed to be praying. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It's about him and what he's doing. Give us this day our daily bread is pointing us to he meets our provision. It's about his goodness. It's focusing us on who God is and how wonderful he is in every single one of these ways. Confess our sins as he forgives us. Again, it's all about him and what he's done. And I think so often we can come to prayer with it being this thing of I'm going to alert God of what he needs to do and how he needs to snap to. And this is what I need you to do for me. But is that the way Jesus teaches us to pray? So how do we then pray for these things? That's what he what he teaches us to pray. But how do we pray? And he says there in verse uh, six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. He says you don't need to use empty words. You don't need to be verbose in your prayers. But then in verse eight, he says, do not be like them for your father knows what you need even before you ask. And so when we pray, 
It's not about the right combination of words or being so eloquent or saying all these things, but it's about making much of God and having that relationship with him. Seeking him, seeking his face, loving him for who he is, wanting his will to come in our life. Every bit of that is about him and who he is and keeping it in that. So often I hear people talk about prayer. And the prayer won't be answered in the way they thought it should be answered. And so it's kind of like, so I just need to pray harder. So that God will do what I want him to do exactly how I want him to do it. And everything that I see of prayer in the Bible is not that God is bending his will to me, but he is bending me to his will for his glory. And so sometimes it's not exactly the way I think it's going to be. And so seeking God for who he is. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Instead of using him as a magic genie that will fix the things that to be the way I think they should be. I go and I seek his face and then I trust him as he leads and he guides. Now, that does not mean that you don't bring your petition. You do. And it doesn't mean that you don't ask him. And it doesn't mean that you don't pray believing that he's going to do the things that are in accordance with his will. You do. But remember what we talked about last week when we looked at Jesus and how he prays. As he bows in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays and he says, Father, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, let it be. This would be the time to tell me. And then he says, but not my will, but yours be done. And what Jesus is praying is for God's glory. For his name to be hallowed, for him to be above all else. And so when we think about prayer, it's this personal communication with God as he shapes and molds us and shows us and teaches us and walks with us and all of these things. And yes, he does respond to our prayers. And yes, he does those things. But all along the way, if we see prayer is about him and our relationship with him and making much with him. That's what Jesus is teaching us to pray here. And so the heart condition behind that, I just want to reiterate this because it's so important. Whenever we read the Bible or we study the Bible or we talk about it, we say, well, repeated phrases are pretty important. And in this passage, Jesus talks about praying and he says, Uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He teaches us to pray that way. Forgive us in the way that we're forgiving others. And then you get to the end of the prayer and he has this little end in verse 14. For if your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You go, whoa. What's that mean? If you're not forgiving others, then God says, I'm not forgiving yours. And you go, how does that work? Sounds like works, doesn't it? You've got to do this in a certain way so that you receive forgiveness. Well, what is Jesus talking about when he says that? He's talking about the heart that is behind prayer. And is it rooted and grounded in the gospel and who you are in Jesus? If you're not forgiving others, 
then you don't understand who God is and what he's done for you in Jesus and the fact that you stand alone by grace and nothing else. And it's only when you see that are you actually responding to the God of the universe the way he's revealed himself. The only way that we can come and call God Father, Abba, Daddy, to come into His presence is because of what Jesus has done for us. It's the only way. And when I see what Jesus has done for me, He's forgiven me of my sin, and it's all because of what He's done. He's forgiven me by no doing of my own. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. And what Jesus is saying is if you come to your Father and you're praying and you don't understand that, you don't get who God is. It doesn't work. It is only through grace, by faith in what Christ has done. And so he says, when you're not forgiving others, you're not understanding what God has forgiven you. And you go, well, you don't know how people have wronged me. You don't know my situation. And my answer to that, as lovingly and as pastorally and as gracious as I can, would be you don't understand what God has forgiven you in Jesus. You're not understanding the holiness of the God of the universe that we want to hallow his name. That it's only when we see those together. There's nothing that I can look at that somebody could ever wrong me and go, I cannot forgive that if I'm understanding what God has forgiven me in Jesus. And so we talk about the heart behind prayer. It's coming to our father through what the Son has done. It is in His name we pray. We seek the Father. We have the fullness of the Spirit. And it's all because of Jesus and His grace to us. Now you may sit here and go, that's really hard. And I don't want to belittle that. If you feel that today and you go, that's really hard. You're telling me to forgive people and there's things that I'm struggling to forgive. And my answer to you would be you seek the face of your father and the grace he has given you in Jesus and he will change your heart. He will show you the glory of his name and what he has done for us in Jesus. But you continue to seek him. So I want to end here. Practically, how do we do this? And we're going to do this for the next three weeks. And so here's just a, a snapshot of where we're going the next couple of weeks. We've been talking about prayer for several weeks and what it looks like and how to pray and what Jesus is teaching us and when he prays. But I want us to think the next few weeks as we think about what he says here about hallowed be your name. It's a prayer of adoration, making much of who God is in his name. Praying prayers of adoration is praying about who God is and his characteristics and the way he's revealed himself and making much of him. Or when we think about praying um, his kingdom come and your will be done, we're praying prayers of affirmation. We're affirming the will of the father and who he is and the way he's revealed himself. And we want to see those things. We're agreeing with those things. 
Give us this day our daily bread. We're petitioning, we're bringing needs before him, our own and that of others as we intercede for them. When we talk about uh, praying, uh, forgive us of our sins and deliver us from evil. We're talking about praying prayers, a confession and renewal. And as we do each one of these, they then in turn turn us back to praying prayers of thanksgiving. And so the next few weeks, what we're going to do is uh, next week, I'm going to do the first one and we're going to gather together and we're going to talk about adoration and prayers of affirmation of what God is doing. And my sermon's going to be real short. It's going to be about half as long as it normally is. And then we're going to pray prayers of adoration and affirmation together. Instead of talking and teaching on prayer, we're going to pray. And then the next week, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to talk about confession and repentance. And we're going to pray. And then we're going to talk about uh, renewal and lead us from temptation. And then we're going to pray to those ends that we would be praying together. No one's going to put you on the spot. No one's going to make you pray. But we're going to have space where we can pray together as a body. That we can obey what God is telling us to do as we seek to pray and seek his name. So if you would pray with me. God, I thank you for the glorious good news of who you are. And the ways that you love us. And the ways that you've forgiven us. The ways that you invite us into a deepening personal relationship with you. I pray that you would teach us, teach us collectively as your bride, as your body, as this local church, how to pray more fully. I pray this week as we leave here and as we meet in different ways in our missional communities and and DNA groups and Bible studies and fellowship and different things, that we'd be a people that are praying together. I pray each one here as we leave this place that we would go home, that we would go into our closet or into our room and that we would bow before you and seek your face, that we want your will to be done in all things. I pray that you would overwhelm us with great adoration for who you are, that we would seek to hallow your name in all things. Or would you uh, spark in us a desire to want to be in constant communication with you in all ways and all things. And then pray that every bit of it would be for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.